You know, when I discover something in my life, now I'm just going to have a little bit of fun for a moment. When I'm going about my business and I discover something awesome, when I come across something that I find to be impacting or impressive or something that excites me, my first instinct is to tell someone about it. And if you're my friend, you might already know this because I'll call you and I'll fill you in on what's going good in my life. Now, probably one of the, maybe the most silly examples, but I think it is a great anecdote that supports this. You know, I love Costco. Do I have any other Costco believers in the house? I know there's a few. Now, what I love about Costco is that you might be going for toilet paper and a carton of eggs, but you are not just going for a <laughs> toilet paper and a carton of eggs. Because when you get into the store, the store starts to speak to you and it tells you what you need. And, and it's, it, really, it all depends on what they've marked down. And, you know, yes, I do need a 30-pack of Sharpies. Yes, I, I need this in my life. I need a 10-pound bag of salad croutons. I need this. And especially, it's not, no longer $30. It's $28 now. I need this in my life. You know, so I'll, I'll be going around, around the store, that one and others, and, and inevitably I'll come across a great deal. And my first instinct after I put the item in my cart is to get my phone out, and I'm calling people. I'm calling my wife, and I'm saying, hey, get your mom on the phone. See if she needs one of these things. Her opportunity, her window is short. I'm here right now. It might be gone if she tries later. I'm calling my mom. True story. One time I called my mother, and I said, mom, how's your food chopper doing? She said, it's fine. I said, no, it's not. Because <laughs> I got a great deal for you, let me tell you. I think, I think one of the best ways, uh, you know, that this, this kind of manifests in my life, a few months ago, back on Labor Day weekend in September, we, we were with the Thorntons uh, in Quispamsis, great friends of this church, and uh, we were there on a uh, youth weekend for a district function, and somebody made me an, an espresso-based drink, a latte, using some machine that they had at their house, and I couldn't stop thinking about this coffee that they gave me. For days upon days, I just couldn't get it out of my head, and so by the end of the month of September, my 30th birthday on the horizon, I thought, you know, I ought to treat myself, and I bought one of these espresso makers, and, and I used to be a big Tim Hortons guy. Now, please don't stone the preacher tonight or hurl tomatoes, but I can count on one hand the amount of Tims that I've bought since the month of September because this has made the difference in my life. <laughs> I'm not saying Tim Hortons is not good, but I got something that's better. It speaketh better things in my life, praise the Lord. But here's, here's what I do. If there's a family gathering, this is kind of exorbitant, maybe a little bit strange, but I'll pack this machine up and I take it to mom's house or to my grandma's house and I say, who wants some good coffee tonight? I'm going to hook you up. Because when I come across something of benefit or of value, when I discover a great deal at Costco or when I know, figure out how to make a good cup of joe, my first inclination is to share it because it's just too good to keep to myself. I got to let somebody know. I want somebody else to get, on, get in on the goods on the ground floor. Now, of course, not everybody is so inclined to spread good news and, and share in the abundance. You know, sometimes people find a good mechanic and they don't tell anybody. 
Because if you tell too many people about your good mechanic, then they're going to get too busy for your vehicle. And so you hoard that thing to yourself. And your lips are sealed. So obviously not everybody is so inclined. And it's interesting to me, those are kind of silly, but, but it's interesting because Jesus addresses that kind of sentiment. The sentiment that is not so inclined to spread and to share the wealth. There's a parable he tells in Luke chapter 12 about a certain rich man whose ground yielded plentifully. There was a great harvest. And this rich man, he is faced with a conundrum and he says, well, what am I going to do with this bounty and this blessing? I don't have room enough to contain this in my life. My storehouses are too small. What shall I do? And so he kind of has this internal dialogue and he comes to a conclusion that rather than take the blessing and the bounty that God has given him and spread it around and share the wealth, he makes this decision to pull down his barns, to tear down his silos and his storehouses and build greater, build bigger, new barns, bigger silos, greater storehouses. And he decides to store all of his crops the bounty and the blessing of God. And then he says to himself, more internal dialogue, he says, Saul, you have many goods laid up for many years, so take your ease. Take it easy and coast. But in the parable, God comes to confront this man, and he confronts this mentality, and God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be? which you have provided for yourself. Your life has come to an end this very night. It will be required of you. And then you, along with nobody else, will be able to enjoy the things that I placed within your life. You see, this is a story about a man who was rich and increased with goods. A man who then decides to hoard the abundance he had and coast with ease the rest of his life. This is a parable that certainly applies to money, but the meaning certainly is broader than merely monetary goods. This is a story that probes at the heart and asks the question, what are you going to do with the blessings that God has placed within your life? Is your first instinct to, to hoard it all, to amass it all, considering only yourself? Or do you recognize that you have been blessed to be a blessing to somebody else. Can I tell you tonight, church family and guests that are with us, that the blessings of God, they often come in measures such as that. They come in abundance. They're too great to contain. God opens the windows of heaven and, and He likes to pour out blessing that we don't even have room enough to receive. The sum total of who you are in your life and your family can't contain the blessings that God brings to His people. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God will generously provide all that you need. How many are grateful for that today? I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God is a need meter today. But Paul goes on, he said... Because of this, you'll always have everything you need, but there's an additional clause to the verse. You'll have plenty left over to share with others. That's the blessing and the bounty 
of our God. But then it comes to us, the question, what do we do with blessings like this? What do we do when we begin to think, not just on financial blessings or, or, or monetary blessings or the blessings of goods in our lives, homes and vehicles and all that health. And What, what do we do when, when we consider God's abundant grace and the mercy that He has extended toward us? Do we proverbially build bigger barns and sit on it all? Do we take the talent that God has placed in our life and bury it in the soil and just sit on it and just make up in our minds that we're good and we can coast in spiritual comfort? Or do we recognize that God has positioned us to turn around and share the blessing with somebody else? And recognize that I'm just a conduit through which the favor of God desires to flow. Let me just take a moment here in the middle of this sermon, in the middle of this service where God is moving, and allow me to remind us tonight how fortunate and how favored the people of God truly are. If you are sitting here tonight in this sanctuary, if you've tuned in to this service, it's not about CCC, but it's about the great God that we serve under the banner of His name, our Lord Jesus Christ. You're blessed to be in this place tonight. Out of nearly 8 billion people, 8 billion people on the planet, the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the living God found you, and the fact that you know who Jesus is, and the fact that you are known of Him, what an abundant blessing to have. The fact that Jesus may be your first generation and He intersected your life or maybe you're a multi-generational believer tonight and at some point God stepped into your family tree and it made all the difference. Jesus made the difference in my life. The fact that He brought you out and and, and brought you out of darkness and, and into His marvelous light that He picked you up and turned you around and placed your foot on a solid footing. It's a blessing. Everyone say, it's a blessing. I don't ever want to get to the place where I treat that casually or where I don't recognize the abundant blessing that it is to be in the family of God, in the church of the living God. You know, I think sometimes, and I've been in this my whole life, and I'll attest for me at least, I think sometimes we can forget what a privilege it is to be washed in Calvary's cleansing flow. And every once in a while, I think we need to pause long enough to remind ourselves and pray a prayer like the psalmist prayed and say, God, restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. God, let me not forget or let me not quickly glaze over the miracle of all of this that You have brought me in to the flock, into the family of God, and You've changed my life for eternity. I wonder tonight if there's anybody in the house that would wave a hand and say, I'm still grateful for what God has done for me. It's not gotten old to me yet. The fact that Jesus made the difference in my family and in my life. Oh, where would we be if it had not been for God who was on our side? Oh, praise the Lord for a moment. Come on, give Him a, a shout tonight in the house. Give Him a praise tonight. He's worthy.
But here's what I've come to say. What God has done for me, it's too awesome to keep it to myself. And it's too abundant for me to try to hoard it all in my own life. I couldn't do it if I tried anyway. What God has done for me, it's too good not to share. Look, your neighbors say it's too good not to share. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Scripture speaks of how the Aramean army, the enemies of God's people, they besieged the city of Samaria in the kingdom of Israel. And as a result, there was a great famine in the city. The enemy, they had shut down trade routes and commerce. There was no opportunity for importing food or grain. And this lasted for many days. And the people began to starve. It was so bad that the Bible gives us a glimpse into what it was like in the city walls. Scripture tells us that a donkey's head was selling for 80 pieces of silver. And a cup of dove's dung selling for five pieces of silver. I don't know the exact correlation into modern currency, but suffice it to say, worthless commodities selling for exorbitant prices. You talk about inflation. These folks knew what that was like. Some of the people in Samaria got so bad that they even started resorting to cannibalism just to survive. It was a, a, a dismal circumstance. Meanwhile, while all of this is happening inside the city, sitting at the city gate were four leprous men, outcasts from the community of Israel due to their condition, due to their infirmity of leprosy. And they come to this point, while the famine is happening all around them, they're starving themselves, and they decide that they might as well do something rather than just sit there waiting to starve to death. And they had this thought, you know, perhaps if we surrender to the enemy, maybe they'll let us live. And if the enemy kills us, well, we're going to die here of starvation anyway, so we might as well move. And so they set out toward the Aramean camp, the enemy's camp. But as they start to get closer, they don't hear anything. Nothing. There's no movement. There's no chatter, no hustle and bustle. Closer still, and they don't see anybody. It's a ghost town. All the horses, the donkeys, they're tethered in place, and all the tents are left in order, but there's not an enemy soldier in sight. These four leprous men, they don't know it at the time, but God had caused the enemy to hear the sound of a great army approaching, galloping horses, speeding chariots, and shouting soldiers. Though it was only four unsuspecting lepers, not an army in the slightest. And with the approaching supposed noise, the enemy fled from their camp, leaving all their spoils and their supplies behind. And so here come these four lepers traipsing into the enemy's camp. And they don't know how good they're about to have it. They see no one's there and they see all the food, all the spoils, and man, they start gorging themselves. They go from tent to tent. They're eating and they're drinking. And then they have their fill of food for a while and they decide, well, we might as well move on to the spoils. And they take clothing and gold bars and they start stashing it away in all the bushes surrounding the enemy's camp and I can only imagine you know they're stuffing it in pockets and they're stuffing it in their waistband and they're changing their shirts and they're just living it up having a great old time 
But after they indulge for quite some time, they stop. And they consider what has happened. I imagine they likely can barely move given their full stomachs. I, I imagine that they're so laden down with gold and silver and, and all the spoils of the Aramean camp that they can hardly even walk. But then they realize, you know, there's not a bush big enough to stash all of, this, all of these spoils. And even if we wanted to consume all of this food and all of this wine, all of, all of this stuff, we couldn't before it would spoil. And so they have this moment of reflection. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 7 verse 9, Finally they said to each other, This is not right. For this is a day of good news. And we're not sharing it with anybody. And if we wait until tomorrow... If we postpone this, this prompting that we feel right now and say, well, well we're going to coast for a little while longer and we're just going to give in to our indulgences and just have our fill and stash a few more things away. If we put this off, then some calamity will certainly fall upon us. So come on. Let's go back and let's find some others and let's tell the people at the palace what God has done for us. Let's go back and let them know the blessing and the bounty that God has provided in our lives. Let's go back and find some other hungry people because this, what we've been given, what God has blessed us with, it's too good not to share. It's too good not to share. And so these leprous men, they were the first ones to enjoy the blessings of God, but they weren't intended to be the last, because the blessing was bigger than what they could handle. It was more bountiful, more abundant than what they could stash away and hoard for themselves. It had to be shared with others who were hungry. Isn't that how it is with the blessings of God? Let me tell you today that, that your day of good news, it's already come. And if you've had your sins washed away, you are living in the overflow of the mercy of God. And the only natural response is to go and find somebody else who is hungry and share the blessing with them. I love these lepers because they were never content to sit still. I, I just think that that's awesome. You see it on both ends of their story. Their first thought was we need to take a step of faith. It took faith to march toward the enemy's camp. So that's what they did. Because they took a step of faith, God met them with great blessing and favor. And it's the same for us tonight. Our first step in a relationship with God is always a step of faith. Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. This might be your first time in church here tonight, but can I tell you, if you will take a step of faith toward God, then He will meet you where you are, and He will not just give you enough. He will give you more than enough. Enough grace to cover your past and to keep you throughout your future. His mercy and His favor are abundant. Everyone say a step of faith. But then on the other end of their story, 
these leprous men still weren't content to sit still. They could have been happy to hoard as much food as possible and coast in comfort, but they refused, and I love that. They knew that there were other people who needed what God had given them, and so their next step was a step of purpose. They turned right back around and they marched back inside the city of Samaria saying to themselves, come on, let's go back and let's tell the people. Come on, let's go find somebody that's hungry and share in the blessing. So that's what they do. They go to Samaria. They let them know what happened and because of it, many others. They shared in the blessings of God and many lives were spared. It was just too good not to share. I'm not trying to be a one-trick pony in the pulpit. But I just, God has been prompting me and just challenging me. And then in my role here preaching to this church to challenge all of us to consider those still hungry. To consider those still in need. There's a city out there and there's people out there that need what you've got. And you've got enough to share. You've got enough, we've got enough to share. There's enough in the house today. There's bread in the house, enough to spare. There's something happening in the walls of this church and in the congregation of this church. God's moving in abundant measure. God's blessings are in our life, our lives in abundant measure. There's enough. There's more than enough to turn around and share it with others. This coming week, it's a significant week on the calendar. As many of us, all of us would be aware. Certainly for Christians, but also the Jewish people. And it doesn't always align like this, but it so happens that Good Friday and Passover, they land on the same day this year. Both of these days, if you study them and if you read through them in Exodus and in the Gospel accounts, you will see that these days are mirrors of each other in many ways. So I think it's certainly fitting that they align For the Jews, Passover goes all the way back to that final night in Egypt before God delivered them miraculously. God instructed each family to take a lamb without blemish, a spotless lamb, and slaughter it. The blood was to be drained into a basin, and then using flimsy, fragile hyssop branches, they were to They were to take that bundle of hyssop and they were to dip it in the basin of blood and they were to apply the blood of the lamb upon the doorposts and upon the lintel of their houses. The lamb was then to be roasted over a fire and each family was to eat it together. That's significant there in and of itself. The family came together and they ate the lamb and they did so along with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. This story is just saturated with symbolism, but we'll hasten to the main point. On this first Passover night, they were instructed to eat the lamb with haste and with an urgency. They were to be prepared to leave with with their cloaks tucked into their belt as they ate. They weren't supposed to have their shoes kicked off in the corner. Their sandals were, were to be on their feet, their walking stick in hand. And all of this was done Because God was about to visit Egypt with the final of ten plagues. He was going to cause the firstborn in every family of Egypt to die. Judgment was coming. 
But this would not happen to the Israelites. And so throughout the evening, as, as God instructed the children of Israel through Moses, they recognized and understood that as long as they remained inside their house, a house that had the blood of the Lamb applied, death would not visit them. They would be spared. And then God was going to take them out of Egypt. Exodus 12, 23, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when He sees the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over your door. And He will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. This was that first Passover night for God's people, the Jews. And this observance of finding a spotless lamb, taking this spotless, blemishless lamb, and then slaughtering it, and then eating it as a family. It was to take place not just one time, but every year afterward for generations to come. And it was to be done so, so that future generations would inquire as to why. Why do we find this spotless lamb? Why do we slaughter it? Why do we eat it together? What's the purpose? And they would be told about that night in Egypt that God delivered them from their slavery. That He cast off their bonds and He brought them out into His promise. That's why. And as the Jews commemorate Passover this coming Friday, can I tell us tonight that the church, we also celebrate the death of a spotless lamb. For it was John the Baptist when he was, when he was speaking to the crowd and speaking of Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. In Revelation chapter 13 and 8, Jesus is spoken of as the Lamb that is slain from the foundation of the world. That's Jesus, the spotless Lamb. And we can see that the, the Lamb without blemish and without spot in Egypt, it was just a type and a shadow of the ultimate sacrificial Lamb, Jesus Christ. He is that spotless Lamb. He is the one without blemish. He is the one in whom no guile was found in His mouth. He is the one that, that when, when Paul would say in Romans, there's no one righteous, no, not one, except there is one that came, the second Adam that corrected the mistake of the first Adam. Adam, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And can I tell you, it couldn't have happened any other way. Only through a sinless sacrifice, only through a spotless lamb could salvation come. Could judgment pass over the people. For we are all born into this world with sin-stained lives. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Amen? None of us could measure up to God's standard of perfection and pay the penalty for our own sins, let alone the sins of the world. But thank God, many of the apostles talk about it. Many of the New Testament writers speak of it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. And because He was spotless and without blemish, Paul said all of this was done that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 
The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 4, 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I'm thankful that we serve a God today that knows what it is to hurt, that knows what it is to be lonely and to feel sorrow and to feel sadness. I'm thankful that we have a high priest. We have a Savior that knows what it is to feel pain and to get sick and to stub his toe. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with our feelings. He knows what it's like to be human. He was in all points tempted like as we were, but thank God it was yet without sin. It had to be that way. No other way for salvation to be provided. I thank God for the perfect life that he lived. But it wasn't the perfect life of that spotless lamb that spared people from judgment. It was the death of that perfect lamb. For only through the shed blood of that Passover lamb, only as it dripped down from its body into that basin, and only as it was applied through fragile hyssop, you know, it's by grace are we saved, and it's through faith. And sometimes we feel like we don't have a lot of faith. But Jesus said, you just need to have mustard seed faith to move mountains. And so sometimes it feels like we appropriate the sacrifice of Calvary through fragile means, but that's okay. It was through fragile hyssop. And sometimes it's through fragile faith that we take the blood and we apply it to the doorposts and the lintel of our lives so that judgment can pass over us. It had to be this way. It had to be a spotless lamb. And only through its death could the people be spared which is why Peter said, 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. He said, you understand that what redeemed you wasn't corruptible things. It wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. It wasn't, it wasn't some amount of money. There's not enough money in the world to pay the penalty, my debt for my sin, even just for one individual. There's no corruptible thing in this earth that could have ever spared me from judgment and could have ever saved me and brought me into the kingdom of God except one thing. And Peter said in verse 19, here's how you were redeemed, by the precious blood of Christ. And then he reaches back to that first Passover and he says it's just like that lamb that was without blemish and without spot. So today I'm thankful for his miracles and I'm thankful for his sinless life and I'm thankful for his teachings and his parables and his principles. I'm thankful for his example that he left us but most of all, I'm thankful for the cross. Most of all, I'm thankful for the death of the lamb and I'm thankful for the blood that dripped down his body from his brow and from his hands and from his feet and from his side as that spear pierced him. I'm thankful for the blood of that lamb. Can we just thank God for a moment for the blood? Can we raise our hands for a moment and can we say thank you Jesus for the blood that you shed for me? I don't ever want to become just calloused to this truth. I don't ever want to become casual toward this truth. What a blessing. What a blessing. Oh, just for a moment, lift your voice. Can you break through the atmosphere for a moment and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hatalabaha. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Paul said in Romans 5, for when we were yet without strength, we couldn't do anything about our plight. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you thankful? For such were some of you, such were some of us. We, we haven't had, always had this all put together and still don't in many ways, if we're honest. But in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm thankful for the cross. But he doesn't stop there. He says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Because of the blood, judgment and wrath passes over. Because of the blood, I don't have to worry about what, what may come. I don't have to worry about the calamity coming to this earth. I don't have to worry about the, the earth and the elements melting with the fervent heat. I, I, I understand that through the blood of Jesus Christ, judgment passes over me and I'll be spared and I'll be saved. And I thank God that He found me and He did that work in my life. I'm thankful. And I'll borrow the words of Exodus chapter 12, but allow me to, to speak of them in our context today, the blood shall be to you for a token, not upon physical houses of brick and mortar, but upon these temples, the blood, where you are. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When judgment comes to this world, you'll be spared, and it's all because of the blood. So let me tell you, when God looks at my life and when God looks at your life, if you've repented of your sins and if you've been buried in baptismal waters in the only saving name of Jesus Christ, if you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, that's the Acts 2.38 message. It's how we're born again and it's how the blood, the, the, the sacrifice and the provision of Calvary is applied to our lives. And let me tell you, when God looks at your life, He doesn't see your shame. When God looks at my life, He doesn't see my sin or my mistakes, my missteps or my yesterdays. When God looks at my life, He sees the blood. And because He sees the blood, His righteous judgment is satisfied. Because He sees the blood, it causes judgment to pass over me. Thank God. And so as we move toward Good Friday, as we move toward this Easter weekend, let us remember what it's all about. It is only by the shed blood of that spotless lamb that we are saved. It's not my good deeds. It's not my good works. It's not my list of pros weighed against my list of cons. It's none of that. It is only the blood. I close. Music, join me. So what do you do with a blessing like this? What do you do with a provision so abundant?
so unmerited. I don't deserve this. None of us deserve this. What do you do with the truth so precious and powerful? What is the proper response when you have such good news that your sins are under the blood? Well, I'll tell you what we ought not to do. We ought not keep it to ourselves. It's too good not to share. It's too good not to share. We can't afford to have a mentality that, that is content to keep this truth hoarded and then coast in spiritual ease. The hour is far too late for that. I know that we hear this a lot and we preach about it and we talk about it a lot. But considering the hour in which we live, I think it's important. I think it's very important. Because the gospel came into my life on its way to somebody else. The gospel came into your life on its way, just passing through to somebody else. It's interesting to me because as a family was making preparations for that first Passover in Egypt, it was important that they take note of the size of their family and also the size of the lamb. The lamb was to be just around a year old, so they would tend to be around the same size, but there's some variance. They would take that into account as they would find that spotless lamb. They would size it up and look it over. They would kind of estimate the kind of yield they would have, how much food they were going to get. Then they would, then they would take account of the family members that would be joining them, those that were a part of the household. So there's mom and there's dad and there's Billy, there's Bobby, there's Susie. So we got five. We're going to have this meal together. And, you know, Billy's been growing like a weed and his appetite has grown right along with him. So he'll probably eat more than last year. This is what they, they, would, they would consider how much they were going to need and how much they were going to have. And if they perceived that there would be too much lamb, for their family to eat, then they were required to do something. They were required to go and find another family and share the lamb with them. Exodus 12 and 4, if a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. You see, there was not to be any leftovers when they got done eating this Passover meal. In fact, verse 10 tells us that they were not permitted to leave any of the lamb until the next morning. They were commanded to burn the leftovers before the Lord. They weren't allowed to have a hoarding mentality. Keep the excess. The excess lamb for, for themselves. Keep it in the Tupperware in the fridge for tomorrow, you know fact of the matter is they weren't going to need it because God was about to get them out of Egypt. There was no sense in having, having stuff in reserve. They were getting out of there. And, and so it was important that they take all that they had and use it because it was going to be consumed anyway shortly. The midnight hour was coming. 
the hour of judgment was at hand. God just said it would be about midnight. And then at midnight, that cry of wailing did come in Egypt. Because of all this, God spoke through Moses to the people and said, don't plan to keep the leftovers for yourself. If you have excess lamb, if you perceive that there's enough to go around, go and find another family. Go around the neighborhood. Go to the next house over and share the lamb with them. So as we prepare for the coming of the Lord and our great day of deliverance, we must consider the size and scope of Calvary and recognize that there is more than enough lamb to go around. Oh, there's more than enough of the blood that still flows to go around. It's abundant in measure. It's bountiful. And we couldn't consume it all ourselves if we wanted to. So likewise, I say to us what God spoke to those Israelites. Find somebody in your neighborhood. Find somebody in your sphere. Find somebody in your circle and share the lamb with them. Tell them what God has done for you. Tell them how God has healed your body. Talk about the goodness of Jesus and how He changed your trajectory and how He brought you out of addiction and how He brought you out of sickness. Just tell them your story. Let them know what God has done for you and how God can do it for them. John said this, and I think this is, this is just the way that I felt to close this, this sermon. And we're going to pray and we're gonna, just going to respond to what God has said. But John said, 1 John 2 and 2, that Jesus himself, he's the sacrifice. Everyone say the spotless lamb. He himself is that sacrifice that atones for our sins. And we're grateful for what Jesus has done for our sins. But he said not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. You consider all the sin that has ever been committed, that is being committed, or that will ever be committed by frail humanity, by flawed and backslidden humanity. You consider even just our sin in this place. And John said, that the sacrifice of that spotless lamb on the cross of Calvary, it was enough to pay for our sin and to pay that debt, but also the sins of all the world, which tells me that the cross has made available to us an even greater end time revival than what we are currently experiencing. It lets me know the cross of Calvary, that there's enough lamb to go around. This verse tells me that the blood of Jesus has made provision for this entire world to be saved from their sin and to be spared from what is to come. There's enough. There's enough blood. There's enough lamb. There's enough sacrifice. There's enough atonement. There is enough and more than enough. It's abundant. It's bountiful. There's enough to go around. I wonder if you'd stand in this house tonight and recognize the blessing of the lamb in your life but realize that you couldn't consume it all even if you wanted to or if you tried. 
And so what do you do with a blessing so abundant and so powerful? What do you do with mercy so marvelous and grace so great? I'll tell you what you do. You find somebody and you let them know about it because it's too good. It's too good not to share. Come on, do you feel what I feel? I feel faith in this house. I feel, I feel a determination in the people of God. We've got what this world needs. And we've got enough for the city of Fredericton. And we've got enough for Atlantic Canada. And we've got enough for this nation and for this continent. We've got enough for this world. Raise your hands and raise your voices for a moment with me if you would. Can you lift it like a trumpet? And can you let the Spirit of Almighty God, oh, just begin to strengthen and empower you. Oh, yes, God. Oh, yes, God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, yeah, come on, just lift your voices, lift your voices, lift your voices. Oh, we thank you, God, for the blood. We thank you, God, for the cross. We thank you for Calvary. God, we thank you for your sinless life, you being that spotless lamb. Oh, God. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I want to tell you today, this might be your first time in the presence of God. Maybe this is your first time joining us for service. Thank you for coming. It's truly our honor. But can I tell you, that's all right. That this work is for you. What God can do in a life, it's not for somebody else. Peter, when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he was preaching repentance, and he was preaching, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name, and he was preaching, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He said it's to you, his immediate audience, to your children, the next generation, and to all that are afar off. Somebody say, that's for me. The promise is for me. The provision of Calvary, it's for you today. And what God wants to do in your life, it's going to be enough to sustain you and enough to share. It's going to be an abundant overflow. A well of living water springing up rivers of living water. It doesn't stay in us. It flows without because it's for others. So I want to open this altar right now. And church family, if you would join those who are coming, if you've never receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in an unknown language as the Bible says. I invite you to come out of your seats. Come around this altar. God wants to pour out of His Spirit tonight upon all flesh. Anybody believe that today? Anybody willing to come around this altar and pray with some folks and pray, pray alongside some folks and say, I believe that God is going to do that. If you're in this house tonight and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. Tonight is your night. Here is water. What doth hinder? We've got robes. We've got towels. And there are folks that will be willing to baptize you tonight. It's a few minutes of your time 
that will change your entire eternity. I wouldn't leave this place without having my sins washed away by the cleansing flow of Calvary in the waters of baptism. As you come, can you raise your hands? And can you lift your voice? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you've come to receive from the Lord tonight, I wish that you just raise your hands, close your eyes to focus in on what God is doing, and just begin to praise Him. Offer worship to the Lord, and His Spirit will come down and fill your life. Lord Jesus, upon the authority of Your Word, and we pray right now in the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that miracles would flow in this house by the blood that was shed at Calvary. By your stripes, we are healed. Lord God, by, in the power of the name of Jesus, I ask that a great outpouring of your Spirit would flow across this sanctuary and touch every life, touch every individual, every mother and father, every family, every child. Pour out your spirit and confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name. Now would you just lift your voices and pray, church. Pray, church. Yes.